You're listening to episode 33 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. He's Alex, and I'm Tara, but while I'm out for the week, Ben Cerruti steps in to talk all things St. Louis sports. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 33 of the Chirps podcast brought to you by Birds on the Black. As you can hear, this is not Tara Wellman, this is Alex Crisofoli doing the introduction. Tara is actually working a doubleheader for a minor league game, I believe, and I am lucky to be joined by Ben Cerruti, a writer at Birds on the Black. Ben, how are you doing? I'm doing well tonight. How are you, Alex? I'm doing pretty well. You've had a good week, right? You are a noted uh, proud Blues fan. Yeah, last Wednesday was pretty incredible. I'm still uh, still not quite sure that it happened, but it did. So. Are you still, uh, I guess, blowing in the wind? How long do you uh, feel this will last? Uh, are, <laughs> are there things, things happening that would normally bother you, but are not bothering you because you can uh, revel in a Blues championship? Oh man, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I I feel like I'm a lot more level-headed when it comes to the Cardinals. Anyway, the they've got so much more data to go over. You know, in terms of the head-to-head mono a mono matchup between pitcher and catcher, that I can kind of wrap my brain around that. I'm really, really passionate in terms of like just letting everything get to me when it comes to hockey, and so. Uh, I'm in a good place right now. With the, I think there's a decent argument to be made. That's almost a more enjoyable way and the proper way to watch sports. <laughs> I think that's how I sort of watch football. Uh, like, 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 I guess Chicago Bears football. I don't know. Like, if someone were to ask me to describe like the stats of football beyond what we all know, I would be completely lost. Oh, yeah, uh, and I'm fine too. with that. You know, I just I watch the game. I know what I know, and I have a blast. Yeah, You know, I, I was thinking about the Blues kind of as they relate to the Cardinals, and it made me think of something I saw, I, I guess, a couple of months ago, and I'm curious your take on this, but I was watching something, I think, on, like, the NFL Network, and it was on, like, the old uh, Houston Oilers. Okay. And I believe it was a quote from Bum Phillips where he said something to the effect that the Dallas Cowboys uh, are America's team, but... The Houston Oilers, when they were in their prime, they were Texas's team. And I think that kind of, I don't know, I feel like you can kind of make a comparison with that to the Blues in that, so the Cardinals are kind of, the Cardinals kind of belong to the region, right? Kind of like that KMOX region. You've got Missouri, Illinois, parts of Indiana, Kentucky, Iowa. It really belongs to all that. But the Blues, to me, feel like St. Louis's team. And that, Does that, that make sense? Yeah, totally. That that makes sense in a, in a way for sure. I feel like I mean, having grown up in St. Louis, now I haven't lived there since '04, but having grown up in St. Louis, you know the the Cardinals weren't always wonderful in my lifetime. In fact, in the most of the '90s, they were pretty bad. But and that was my formative years in terms of baseball watching experiences. But it seems like that was, especially with them being around 181 times a year at home or more if there's a playoffs, that it's just a constant in St. Louis that they're going to be good. And you can say that about the Blues, too. They made the playoffs 25 straight years, but in hockey, over half the teams make the playoffs. They hadn't made a finals since 
the third year in the league, you know, 49 straight seasons without it. And so uh, I don't know. And you could almost argue, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you could almost argue those first three finals that they went to in their first three years of existence almost don't count just because of the way the league was structured. Right. Yeah. And for those people that don't know, it was uh, the first three years of expansion after the original six teams in the league. And they just put all six expansion teams in one conference and the original six in the other. And basically the, the original six fought to the death on that side. And the blues were the best of the worst and then got annihilated in the finals three straight years. That seems like a really dumb idea, by the way. Yeah, after the first, after the first three years, they changed that one in a hurry. You mentioned that the Cardinals weren't always great in your formal years. The Cardinals also aren't great right now. And I'm speaking specifically right now. They are down 3 nothing to the Marlins. They, I believe, have two hits. I, I left them oh. for a second, I, and I came back, and Dexter Fowler was on base. Um, okay. I, I, I think he singled. Other than that, they are getting shut out um, by this Marlins pitcher. Hey, and the first hit was by Jack Flaherty. So the, f- the first uh, hit was a double by Jack Flaherty. I, I saw a pretty funny tweet moments before uh, getting online here. If the DH had come to the NL this year, the Cardinals would be getting no hit. <laughs> That's true. Why is this offense so bad? I don't know. Like, I mean, it's not. So Goldschmidt has been almost reached the point of unacceptably bad. Yeah. Like, like he, he has not been, I guess, Paul Goldschmidt or whatever you want to say. But even guys like Jose Martinez aren't hitting like we know they're capable. And what seems strange to me is that the league as a whole is hitting better this year. Right. Yeah. I mean, maybe not hitting better. The strikeouts are up league-wide. Homers are up league-wide. Walks are what they are. But runs are up. Yeah, and if you look at this lineup heading into the season – and you were told, let's say for whatever reason you were told before the season, like, you know, yeah, scoring is going to be out. There's going to be a crazy ton of home runs. Right. I would have felt Definitely. pretty good about this lineup. I, I don't know what to say. It's just they haven't been good. And it's been a, it's been a very, uh, yeah, like I can't even think the last time they strung together like a, like a game where they got eight or nine hits. Now if they had eight or <laughs> nine hits last night, I'm going to feel silly. It just but doesn't certainly... feel like they're a team that does that right now. and. I don't know. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, they're what, 37 and 34. I, I think, you know, the most surprising thing is as we sit here after the month of May, as we're still talking about the offense being pretty bad, they entered today, I believe, two and a half games out of first place and just two games behind the Cubs. I, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that no one in the NL Central is, uh, is perfect. Every team is flawed, I guess, in their own way. And so no one's... Right now, been capable of away with the division, but also the pitching has stabilized a little bit. I, I think that kind of starts with starts with Dakota Hudson. You know, he's had seven straight quality starts, and you know, make of that stat, you know, what you will. But his ERA has been under three during those starts, and that's about forty five innings pitched, three point four one FIP, getting a ton of ground balls. But you know, just like yeah, the peripheral stats still don't look that great. Like he's he's still only striking out. He's striking out less than. 14% of batters and still walking 10%. Yeah, you, you're not going to see a guy with a 1.5 or so or less, even K to walk ratio, get keep it going for too long. But this is a guy who, I mean, he I I don't know his K to walk numbers in the minors, his peripherals, his K percentage, walk percentage. But, I mean, he was 
double-A pitcher of the year in the Texas League two years ago, and he only got 18 starts there before getting called up. He was triple-A pitcher of the year last year in the PCL, only had 19 starts there before getting called up. I mean, he started out rough this year. April was not pretty. I mean, in April, his expected WOBA against him was like 397, and he had a whip of almost two, but he allowed eight homers. And I think six of those might have been in Milwaukee. I'm not sure. That was ridiculous. But in May and June, he's basically stabilized. He's been, he's got, like you said, seven straight quality starts. He's got nine starts in May and June, over 50 innings, a whip of like 1.35, only one homer allowed. His ground ball rate jumped in May and June. So his expected WA, WOBA has dropped to like 314 and 317, which is pretty good. I, I think. Perhaps a better way to measure the last seven starts, because as we know, you know, quality start can be a bit of a dubious stat. Although, even at its worst, six innings pitched, three, you know, allowed three runs. Uh, that's not bad. If you've only allowed three runs through six innings, at the very least, you can say your team is in the game, uh, no matter what your offense has done up to that point, if anything. And if we're talking about the Cardinals, they probably have not done anything. Uh, but But perhaps a better measure of these seven starts is I, I believe he has a game score average of close to 60. If you look at game by game, he's had uh, five pretty well above average starts and two starts close to average by game score. And there, there you go. Yeah. I, I guess a guy who was penciled in to be our fourth or fifth starter, I think we'll take that now. Exactly. What would be helpful is if we were getting, as if he was the fourth or fifth starter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, if we're talking about him right now as if he were the fourth or fifth best starter. Um, and right. he probably still is. You know, I'm still more comfortable, I guess, with Michaelis on the mound. I I want to say the same about Flaherty. And, you know, to be fair to Jack Flaherty, I'd probably be feeling a lot better about him right now if, if the Cardinals were up 5-3 to three instead of down, uh, you know, 3 to nothing. Um Yeah. And also the Marlins have a man on third base, so they might be close to being yeah, up. So it might be getting to four soon. Uh, right. I, I turned it off when we when we started uh, recording here. Cause... All right, I'll, ke- I'll keep you in the loop if you even want to know. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> did you happen to read that article today at Fan Graphs by Ben Clemens about the sinker? I did not. Okay, I could not recommend it more. I highly recommend you read it. But the I guess the crux of the article is the fact that the sinker is a pitch that is no longer being used with the same amount of frequency as in years past. Juxtapose against the fact that more home runs are being hit. Hmm. Well, let me say that a different way. More balls, more fly balls are turning into home runs this year than ever before. And so he kind of looked at it like, well, okay, Marlins are up for nothing. He kind of looked at that and like, well, why is this happening? Meaning if more fly balls are turning into home runs, why are fewer sinkers being thrown when the point of a sinker is, you know, to naturally get the ball on the ground? And it's a very in-depth article. It's the type of article that you read and you're like, I really wish I could write an article like that. Uh, But I'm going to read what is kind of the conclusion. I don't think, you know, this really gives anything away. I would encourage everyone to still go and and read the entire article, but I'm going to read you kind of what I would say is the most important paragraph in the piece, um, but still encourage you to go read it. And I'm curious what you have to say about what you have to say about this, but he says the sinker paradox is fun to think about. Grounders are good, but sinkers are bad. What gives 
I posit three reasons in this article. First, batted balls off of sinkers aren't as advantageous as you might think. Second, and my own commentary here, I think this part is very interesting. Batters, and he backed this up with stats earlier in the article, batters do more damage when they put a sinker in the air than when they put a four-seamer in the air. And third, sinkers induce very few whiffs relative to four-seamers. And in the lively ball era, getting an out without allowing contact is paramount. And I don't know, I just found that super interesting. And it also shows what does, you know, even though we're talking about, you know, Hudson's been good, I do worry that it's not going to last. That, you know, I think in these seven starts we talked about, he hasn't allowed a home run. Right. And that's great, but we also have to assume that that's not going to last. And it also would be nice if we did have more pitchers in this rotation, I guess, with that put-away pitch. And I don't feel like we have that right now. We have a we have a lot of guys who are, at least compared to the rest of the league, maybe not compared to how people pitched 10, 15 years ago, but compared to the rest of the league, we have a lot of guys who pitch to contact. Yes, Dakota Hudson is that typical Dave Duncan guy who you want getting balls on the ground. Uh, Wainwright's that guy. Michaelis is that guy. I mean, that's 60% of your starts right there. Yeah, and, and now we have... Waka, which I don't know. Do you want to do you want to say anything about Waka? <laughs> um, that start against the Marlins was nice, but it was the Marlins, right? So, yeah. Uh, you, I guess they they announced that Waka's going again Friday night against the Angels. Against the today, Angels so, against Pujols. Uh, I guess Schilt's reasoning was he wanted them to go against a team that had never seen him before. So maybe that'll help uh, him out a little bit, but um, we shall see. Uh, so uh, Trout has no chance then, huh? <laughs> uh, I, I don't think well, it's going to matter for Trout if he catches a sinker or walk his forcing fastball up in the zone. It's going to go a long ways. I think, I think here's my frustration with the whole Waka thing. And it goes back to what we were talking about earlier and that no one is running away with the NL Central. Every team is flawed. And the byproduct of that is we can't be throwing away wins. Yeah. That last start he had, I, I th- that was the game that Flaherty got thrown out at home plate, right, to end the game. That was the game Waka started that we lost 8-7. And we pretty much lost that game in those early innings because of that Waka start. I don't know. I just feel like with how bunched up this division is, we can't be reckless like that. I also don't know how 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 much good this does to Waka either. I, I yeah. feel like this is the second or third time we just left him out there to die. And certainly I don't know the relationships, how that works, but I certainly wouldn't think it would it'd be very good for him either. Yeah, I, I don't see how it's how it's beneficial for the team or him. You know, it feels like a lose lose situation to me. What is the solution? I mean well, and that's that's the problem. Gomber's hurt right now or just coming back from an injury. Reyes isn't pitching well. But they brought Ponce de Leon up. So I don't know. I mean, they've got six men in the rotation right now. You don't have to pitch Waka. Well, Wainwright, Wainwright is on the I.L. But he is coming back Thursday is what they announced. Oh, okay. That's right. So he's coming back Thursday. So we've got Flaherty tonight, Ponce de Leon tomorrow, Wainwright Thursday, Waka Friday, Hudson Saturday, Michael is Sunday. Yeah, I I want to say I haven't looked at the schedule, but I'm looking it up now. I want to say we do have off days next week, so maybe they can get a five man squared away a little bit more cleanly. 
Yeah, they have a Monday off day and a Thursday off day. So there's only a two-game series with the Athletics on Tuesday, Wednesday. So, right. so they might be doing this just to try to see Wainwright one time, see Waka one time, see Ponce de Leon one time before this break to see what they've got. Two things I would say on this. One, I don't like the fact that, okay, Marlins are, oh gosh, Marcel. You'll see it eventually, but Marcel Ozuna just made a very egregious error. Uh, not quite as ridiculous as the the other error that we all know and love, but probably worse from a actual damage standpoint. He allowed a, a runner from first to come all the way around and score. It is now 6 nothing Marlins. This game is not going well. Um, but anyway. Glad I turned that off. If, all right. If, if Waka is having a start like he did on Saturday, I believe that was Saturday, at home, in front of fans, especially if we don't take care of business with, against the Marlins and if they don't win these next two games, I think anyone would consider a split with the Marlins to be, especially at home, to be not taking care of business. Right. And if Waka is just out there dying, I think the crowd is going to have a visceral reaction to that. I think there will be boos, and I don't want to see Michael Waka get booed. I think Schilt might get booed if the time presents itself where he has to walk out there and get Waka. Yeah. I just don't know how this is helping anyone in the organization right now. And to my second point, just the lack of urgency is just – frustrating and i look at the cubs and you know they traded jimenez for quintana and you we can certainly debate the merits of that trade it certainly made sense at the time in hindsight you know who knows it's going to probably take a while to find out who actually won that trade uh, yeah i think but it was, they had the foresight to know. it was a good move by both teams at the time yeah I, I would agree with that too and that's a move you make when you have a competitive window that is open if you're the cubs and I don't feel like that's a move the Cardinals have made in recent years. I, I also think about how the first 10 days of the season, the Cubs' bullpen was an absolute disaster. And they immediately, immediately addressed mm-hmm. it. They didn't wait until June or they didn't wait until the trade deadline to see what they could do to, to try and, I guess, squeeze as much blood out of a turnip as possible. I think our biggest problem, even though we talked about it stabilizing a little bit, like growing the offense for a second is a starting rotation. And we can, I think both agree that it's probably a lot easier to fix a bullpen or at least tinker with a bullpen than it is a starting rotation. But still, I, I just feel as though, and they talked about this a bit on the meet me at usual podcast this week as well, that what good is it going to do if they're actually looking to make a trade and that trade doesn't happen until July or until around the all-star break. I mean, is it going to be too right. late? Like, and that's, yeah, I, I that's just, always just, a question. You know, when do you, if you feel like you have a chance that year, when do you turn it around? When do you for sure go for it? And yeah, I don't, I don't know for this iteration of this team. I think, I don't know. I'm in the boat of this team. Hasn't uh, what's, what's the one thing we really thought coming into the season. And I think it's that we thought we had more and better depth than anybody in the starting rotation. And I hmm, want to, I, 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 I didn't think that, but go okay. ahead. Okay. Well, I mean, if you think, I don't know, I feel like nationally, that's what was thought of us compared to the I rest thought, of the division. I thought we had depth four through six. 
I guess that's the I guess that's by definition death. Meaning, I thought we were pretty strong four through six. Six mm-hmm. being the guy we would have to call up in the event someone in one through five got hurt. Gotcha. But I didn't I didn't necessarily love us as much. I guess one through three. Fair enough. And but and wait, hold on. Am I even saying? Am, am I even right in that? Like because. I don't know. I mean, I Michael is. Yeah, because Michael is a Flaherty. I felt, you know what? Michael is was a Cy Young contender last year. Flaherty was right. a Rookie of the Year contender last year. So you had right those now, one too. Yeah. You thought. Let, you, let me reverse that. You, I, I, yeah. I felt very good about one and two. I felt like we had a bunch of four, five, and six starters after three that. on deck. Yeah. And fair enough. But I mean, to, to what the national guys were saying, at least. I mean, you had Carlos Martinez coming back from injury, and he's been an ace before for the team. Mm-hmm. You had Alex Reyes, who people thought were back, was back from two years of injury at least, coming back by May. So if one of them could even take over the three or the four, then you have Wainwright, Waka, Hudson battling it out for the five. You have Ponce de Leon, who threw a beautiful game in his first year in the mate first game in the majors and then pitched pretty well down the stretch last year. You had Gant who pitched pretty well down the stretch. You had Gomber who had struggled at the major league level, but I mean, was good at the minors. You figured he could grow on it a little bit, especially if he's your seventh or eighth or ninth man. You had Dakota Hudson who we've already discussed in the podcast tonight. And so yeah, the one-two you thought for sure were going to be there, and neither one of them has really panned out to be a one or two this year even. But they haven't tried the depth yet. I mean, Gomber got hurt. Reyes got hurt. Martinez, they refused to start. Ponce de Leon, made, he's made one start. I, I believe, believe, yeah. I believe tomorrow's his yeah. second start of the year. So that's two starts to players not in your starting five to start the year when your pitching has been a big problem. Let me ask you this, because you brought up Alex Reyes, and I'm going to acknowledge that it's very easy to say this after one Tommy John surgery, and what what was his issue last year? I already forgot. Shoulder, right? Yep. Okay. Did the Cardinals make a big mistake when they didn't act as aggressively as the Cubs did, for instance, in parting with, you know, whether it's Torres, or, although I still hate that trade for the Cubs, but whatever. Um, and Jimenez, did they make a mistake not parting with Reyes when he was at his actual, his absolute peak value, which was probably what? Either before the 2015 season or after the 2015 season. In hindsight, it looks that In way. In hindsight, so yeah. I, it, yeah, it's almost not a fair question because we know too much now. Right. But I, I do wonder if, Again, when they have an open window of contention, if they really need to be more aggressive with these guys, especially when we're talking about pitchers, and we all know the old adage about pitchers in terms of, you know, never count on a pitcher being a prospect, because this is exactly what can happen. Now, I I can't even rattle off a name of who they should have been chasing and, and, you know, luring Reyes out there as as bait, you know. Right, right. Hasso's kind of come and go, but I do wish they would be more aggressive at times when it comes to this stuff. And now we're kind of seeing the result when the pitching depth doesn't pan out. Right. I don't know. I think 
specific to race, I feel like that's a really hard question to answer. Like, I don't think that's a fair question to answer even. I don't know. Just <laughs> looking, I would have been mad at the time had they treated Yeah, because, I mean, just yeah, looking yeah. back to, looking back to when he came up in 2016, how dominant he was. Oh. Was it? Oh, you're right. I was thinking that was 2015. That was two, okay. I was, that was 2016. So, yeah. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. So l- let me rephrase that. So I guess his his value was at its peak right before 2016 and after the 2016 season. Yeah, probably after 2016. Mm-hmm. And I believe he. But then you, yeah, then you even look back at. I mean, think about last year's starts in the minors. Right. After he's coming back from Tommy John, he might have never pitched that well in his life. Right. I mean, we're talking about Peoria. We're talking about did he did he make a start in Memphis? I don't remember. Yeah, he made one start okay. in one in Peoria, one in Palm Beach, one in Springfield, one in Memphis. Okay, so he just went right up the ranks there. Okay, but I mean, twenty three innings of seven hits, seven walk, forty four strikeout ball. Goodness, struck out forty four of eighty two. Well, he had a rough line today with giving up a lot of hits, a lot that's, of walks. Yeah, that's what I read. It's uh, it's been kind of rocky all season. How concerning is that? Knowing you know, it's sometimes it's hard to decipher exactly what's happening down in the minors because we don't know what they're working on. You know, obviously they brought up Henesis Cabrera to mixed results when he wasn't having um, a great time down in the minors right. either. Do we do we chalk this up to he's he's trying to work something out? Do we think we just I... kind of missed out on Reyes? I mean, do we, what are we? What do we think here? I think that I I'm kind of mentally counting him out until until he proves that he's healthy, you know. And I I haven't watched him pitch. I haven't heard anything about him still being injured. But but I a guy that's been that good that long in the minor. I mean, I know results weren't always there in the minors, but he's not getting anything right now and. It's nothing, you know, his stat line at least is nothing close to what it was at any other point, really. It's just not good. And so I'm counting him out for now, at least until proven otherwise. If I recall, his first appearance this season wasn't bad. I'm either thinking his first or second appearance with the actual Cardinals this year wasn't bad. But the last one before he was sent down, he couldn't find his own, if I right, recall at all. Right, and, and that's always kind of, I guess, kind of been his issue. But we live with that because he's, he was striking right. so many batters out and his stuff was just so good and that just doesn't seem to be the case right now. It's uh, it's just unfortunate, I guess, because we keep waiting to kind of have this elite talent come along to kind of replace, uh, I guess, that should be Goldschmidt right now. Um yeah, I mean, yeah, it should have been Tavares, and it should have been Reyes, and it should have been <laughs> right Ozuna, and it should have been Goldschmidt. Well, speaking of what elite talent does look like when it is in St. Louis, do you have any thoughts on the Pujols situation? I'm kind of, I'm actually really excited to see it. I, you, you know, I don't have anything to say that hasn't been said elsewhere, but I can't believe how long it's been since he's been with the Cardinals. I, it, yeah. it, in, in a way, it feels like a really long time ago, and in a way, it doesn't. I think because he spent so much time with the Cardinals, I watched so many games of him with the Cardinals that it almost doesn't feel that long ago. Um, but yeah, we're this is year eight. Yeah, yeah, it, it's crazy <laughs> to think. You know, we all remember 
where we were, what we were doing when that contract was signed for 10 years. And to think that it's almost over is, is baffling to me. And I think it's been interesting to watch kind of like the way, I guess the majority of Cardinals fans have reacted to Pujols throughout the course of this contract. Because I, I think when he first left, a lot of people were mad at him. A lot of that's just irrational, which is totally fine with sports. Just people saying, hey, you know, I'm upset. You're no longer on my favorite team. Um, and therefore, I'm mad at you. But I don't think anyone really feels that way anymore. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, I hate to say it, but I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he's just not that great anymore. And Yeah, he, he, it, he's not Albert Pujols. You right, know? right. And so most people kind of look at it as a bullet that we dodged. I don't quite look at it that way. I think it's a bit more complicated than that. I certainly would have liked to have had Pujols in a Cardinals uniform hitting number 500, number 600. Yes. But it is easier to, for a lot of people to forgive when, you know, he's no longer a player he once was. Yeah. Forgive is the wrong word because he, he didn't do anything wrong. But he, you know what I mean. I, yeah. I, I, I think he would still get a standing ovation if he was playing great. But I think it was quicker for a lot of people to turn the page once they saw that he was no longer great. Yes, I agree with that. And that was pretty evident pretty quickly. Um, now, thinking back and looking back, we know his 2011 season here was kind of injury-plagued. But that was the start of it. I mean, he he was over 100 yeah. OPS lower than his career average up to that point in 2011. I believe that was is that to, is that when he finished with a two ninety nine uh, batting average? Yeah, that would be the only. Uh, yeah, he, yeah, he batted two ninety nine. He had a one forty seven WRC plus, which was his his worst in a which was still we would still be pretty happy with that. But that was his worst ever as a Cardinal. Um, I mean, he only finished fifth in the MVP voting that year. <laughs> yeah, he was he was still <laughs> he was still a four win player. Um, so, and we can also say we do not win the world series if we don't have him. We're not there oh, without man. him and we probably don't win it without him. Was that, uh, he hit, uh, he hit three home, three home runs in one game and piece. he also got, yeah, and he also got the ninth inning rally started with the double. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will always love Albert Pujols. I'm happy he's coming back. I hope it's a very, very and Didn't he, time. didn't he just dominate Milwaukee in the divisional or the champ, NL championship series that year? I think let me the game I I want to say it was game six against uh, the game that we won where we clinched the clinched the pennant and he hit a home run in in I believe it's the first inning where it just felt like okay this would be one of those games where we just yeah. destroy them and now freeze I think he was overshadowed again by freeze because freeze was incredible that series as well. But I believe you're correct. I think he had a Yeah, very I'm just good... finding it. Yeah, just finding it on baseball reference now. It's six games, 11 runs scored, and nine RBI. <laughs> I a feel four... like a lot of that was done in Milwaukee, too. He hit well in that stadium. Oh, everybody did that series, I felt like. <laughs> That's... That is quite true. Yeah, just those first 10 years were so awesome. I really hope that, that Friday night it's just – all applauses, you know, I don't want to hear a single boo over the television at all. If you're booing, you should be escorted out of the stadium. And I'm not even, I'm not even kidding. You you should not be allowed in the stadium. Yeah. You got to turn in your best fan in baseball card there. And then, yeah, I, I don't, 
I think, I mean, he was basically our version of Mike Trout. I'm not saying he was as good as Mike Trout, but he was pretty damn close. But for 10 and years, he was, better than Mike Trout has. Yeah, yeah, and, and he did it for 11 years. And what I love about his career is just how clean it looked in the stats. Trout came up in 2011, and he struggled a little bit, you know, as most rookies are willing to do right when they're called up. Uh, but it wasn't until he came back up the next season. Uh, I, I don't think he even had rookie status when he came up. No, he didn't because he, he won. He won rookie. It wasn't until he came. Yeah, right, right. It wasn't until he came up in 2012. We're like, okay, yeah. this guy's this guy's amazing. Pujols was good immediately. You know, we always talk about if Bobby Booney doesn't get hurt, he doesn't get called up. I don't know how true that is, but just the fact that you looked at his first ten seasons in the majors and and just ignore ignore what's what came after yeah. that and. It looks like a piece of art, you know. If you look like always 100 runs scored, always 100 RBIs, always at least 30 home runs, always batting 300. I mean, almost always batting 330. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he batted what 359 one year. He batted 357 in 2008. I mean, he was just a joy to watch. And my only regret is I wasn't living in the area at the time, and I also, you know, MLB TV wasn't as prevalent as it is now, so I wasn't able to watch, sit down and watch every game. I can only imagine how great it was to be able to just sit and watch every single Albert Pujols game. Yeah, this is my favorite way to describe how good he was over those those first 10 years. Okay, so if you just look at, just look at the triple slash line, you know, uh, uh, batting average on base slugging. Here are his, here are literally the worst of the 10 seasons, 312 batting average was the worst year. Only three Cardinals have hit 312 in a season since Pujols left. 394 on base percentage is his worst of the first 10 years. Only three Cardinals since 2011 have had a 394 on base percentage or higher in a single season. 561 was his worst slugging percentage in the first 10 years, and no Cardinal has done that since he left that's probably like a 150 wrc plus season what you just described uh, that's probably close to like a seven one season <laughs> you know what you just described uh, yeah right uh yeah he, he was amazing i i hope he keeps playing and hits 700 home runs <laughs> uh where's he at right now uh Six, he, he has 50 he has 55 yeah 55 more to hit which okay. you know he can cer- he can certainly do that in two and a half seasons but we are we are getting stressed for time, and I'm worried if we keep talking about Pujols, we might not stop. So I'm going to go ahead and transition to the chirp of the week, if that's yeah, cool definitely. All right, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to throw out a number at you. Um, does the number eighty three point one mean anything to you? Not at all. Probably not. Yeah, <laughs> that is the combined wins above replacement for McGuire, Edmonds, and Roland for when they were Cardinals. Does the number 28.4 mean anything to you? Is that, is 28.4 a reference to the Gould article earlier this week? It is not. Okay. 28.4. At least least I don't think so. Okay. There's no way you would know any of this, by the way. So I I I shouldn't be asking you, like, I'm not trying to tell you. 28.4 is the combined wins above replacement for the eight players that the Cardinals and Walt Jockety sent over to the various teams in exchange for McGuire, Edmonds, and Roland. Uh, And most of that was Adam Kennedy, who we sent to the Angels in exchange uh, for Edmonds, um, also with Bottenfield. You know, 
it's probably a bit of a myth how much we talk about how like you know Bottenfield hadn't won twenty games or whatever it was that we don't have it you know that we're not able to trade for Edmonds because I think Adam Kennedy was probably may have been the bigger piece in that trade. I, I really I, I don't know what it was quite like at the time. But it could be true. I mean, you know, Bonfield did have that season where, you know, even though if you look closely, I didn't look at his age and everything else, you know, he probably wasn't very good. But he was a part of that trade, and that's the name that gets mentioned more often right. than uh, than Adam Kennedy. Uh, you know, and Placido Polanco was certainly a very good player, not only for the Phillies, but he went on to have a good career uh, with the Tigers, and that's who – that was the main piece we sent over to the Phillies um, in exchange for Roland. You mean Bud, uh, now these Bud were all Smith trades. wasn't the main piece there? <laughs> I don't think Bud Smith ever threw a single pitch for the Phillies. Oh, man. I really don't. I, I'm trying to, <laughs> I should look that up now, but I believe he did not throw a single pitch for the Phillies. Um, and I think Mike Timlin was the other guy. But yeah, so Walt Jockety acquired Mark McGuire, Edmonds, and Roland. All three very, very great trades. Um, and then he also signed all um, yes. signed all three of them, too. So they uh, – McGuire, not as much because he was getting older and uh, um, was also injury-prone. But they all had pretty extensive careers with the Cardinals um, after they signed, especially Edmonds. And I, I was just thinking about Walt Jockety because it seems like this team – could really use one of those jockety type trades right now. I guess, you know, Goldschmidt is probably uh, that very much felt like a Walt Jockety esque trade, uh, but it did. That felt like the very first one since since that time period. Yeah, maybe Hayward, but Hayward was never what Goldschmidt was. Um, I don't you know, think Hayward, so. Hayward's a very good player, but never what Goldschmidt was. And uh, the only problem is Goldschmidt hasn't played like these Walt Jockety-like players um, I mentioned um, a second ago in McGuire, Edmonds, Roland. There's still time, but so far it hasn't been great. And, you know, Walt Jockety eventually uh, went out of fashion. Um, it's impossible to say what would have happened had he stayed on as the GM and they didn't part with him after what season? Was it after 2007? Yeah. But I think it's fair to say, based on where the farm system was at at the time and where baseball was heading, that perhaps the club's future would not have been as bright had Jockety stayed at the helm. But I think it's also one of those things where you stick around long enough, you're going to go out of style, but you stick around even longer, you're going to come back in style. And I feel like right now, Walt Jockety's kind of back in style. I would love to have, <laughs> you know... Dombrowski or, you know, a Walt Jockey type guy who's ready to go for it and make that big trade and kind of shake things up a bit. Yeah. So, yeah, this chirp, of, this chirp of the week is in uh, honor of Walt Jockey. Uh I, I don't know how the fan base collectively feels about him. I, I think pretty favorably, but I, I, I hope so. And I, I think he deserves to one day have kind of his time in the sun as a Cardinal, whether that's being elected to the Cardinals Hall of Fame or whatever, because he really was a good GM and he was the the, the GM I think of who kind of helped turn the Cardinals around. Yeah, definitely. From, the, from those bad days that you were talking about earlier. Right, right. Because he came on he came on right about when when LaRusso did, right? And didn't they all right, come yeah. on together and build a win yeah. and everybody? So they did. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense that he would be he would be enshrined in the lore in some way. I do have a quick little story about Jockety. It's not exactly about Walt Jockety himself, but uh so when I was finishing up school at Lindenwood, getting my master's to become a teacher. I was also working at the same time during the day in a school in the St. Louis area. And Jockety's kid happened to go there. 
And so this was during the Tino Martinez years where everyone's um, favorite Cardinal. Right. So that kind of goes along with what I'm about to say. Jockey's kid was a, I believe a seventh grader at the time. And he knew that both myself and another younger gentleman working at the school were huge Cardinals fans, as is almost everybody in the area. But the day Tino Martinez got traded to Tampa, uh, he came in that morning and uh, he said, you know, Saruti, I I can't tell you exactly what's going on, but but you're going to love it. And all I could do was say, did Tino get traded? <laughs> and he just grinned ear to ear. <laughs> yeah, that was all that needed to be said. <laughs> well, I don't even know. Uh, well, I mean, I know a little bit. But whether or not our feelings about Tina, Tino Martinez are fair, uh, I feel like they are. But I don't even remember who we traded, who we got in exchange for him. But I almost don't care <laughs> because I think like you, I was I was happy. I don't think we got anyone significant, which would make sense with where Tino was at in his career at that time. Uh, I am looking it up now. We got a player to be named later and Evan Rust. I don't have any the Evan player, Rust memories. I don't know if you do. The player to be named later turned out to be John Paul Davis. Okay. I, I don't have any John Paul Davis memories either. Evan Rust made it to AAA. Okay. But no further. And okay. John Paul Davis, if my computer wants to load this, made it to high A ball before getting um, sent back to Tampa in okay. some sort of deal, which I don't see here, uh, before going to independent ball. Okay. I, I think Tino's problem is not that he was – bad in St. Louis because he wasn't bad. He was perfectly average, if not slightly above average, but it was always this perception. Um, and this could be something that's totally overblown as well, but I remember reading about it at the time. And so I, I feel like it's not that overblown, but just, just this perception that he didn't even want to be there. Yes, that I, He always talked about how, how great he had it in New York. And now he was stuck in St. Louis. And by the way, he, he went to the Cardinals in 2002 and that was an awesome Cardinals team. It really was. So so there really wasn't all that much to complain about, uh, especially since he was, what, 34 or 35 when he came over. So he was he was pretty old. And that explains why we got Evan Rust and I already forgot the other guy's name. When we John Paul him. Davis, I think it was. J- John Paul Davis. Okay, there you go. Anyway, Ben, thank you for coming on. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. I always enjoy stepping in for you or Tara or whoever I can. And Yeah, we will do it soon again eventually. I wore my... Uh, Favorite fighting line I shirt while recording this since I know you're a big Mizzou fan. I <laughs> felt like that was highly appropriate, but fair enough. I wore my blues gear still a week later. <laughs> have you taken it have you taken it off? <laughs> yes, yes. This is a different shirt, I promise. Good. Uh Ben, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh I am at S T L F A N B C seven on Twitter. And hopefully you can read some stuff of mine over at Birds on the Black. Um, I believe I'm putting out a Miles Michaelis piece on Friday. Fun. Uh, eventually one day I'll actually write again. <laughs> I love. I don't know when do. that'll be, but I, I I swear it'll happen. Well, uh, the ten and a half is coming out again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, Friday, in fact, ten and a half. There'll be a new ten point five on Friday. Uh, I am Alex Crispoli. You can follow me at AlexCard79 on Twitter. Tara should be back with us next week. Um, And this wraps up episode 33 of Chirps. Thank you all for listening.